Welcome to Startup Stories, where we go behind the scenes of some of the most interesting and innovative tech startups in the world. Each episode will bring you in-depth interviews with entrepreneurs and business leaders, sharing their personal stories on success, failure, and everything in between. So whether you're an entrepreneur yourself or someone that's just generally interested in the world of startups, then Startup Stories is the perfect place for you to gain insight and inspiration into some of the most exciting players in the game. So sit back, relax, and join us on a journey of Startup Stories. Hi, Edit. Thanks for joining me on the Startup Stories podcast. Hey, Jordan. Thanks a lot for, for having me. My pleasure. So for those listening, can you give them a brief introduction into who you are? Yeah, of course. So um, uh, I'm Elliot, uh, Elliot Jabez, CEO of Stockley. I've started the company uh, uh, in Paris uh, five years ago. So uh, actually, we're celebrating uh, our birthday uh, next week with a big party. What Stockley does is that we allow e-commerce websites to exchange stock in real time so that they can better serve their customers. So typically, uh, as a consumer, if you want to buy a product on website A.com that's not available for sale, uh, thanks to our technology, the uh, website A.com can uh, sell it to you and uh, automatically uh, the order will be dispatched to another uh, retailer of the network who will ship it directly to you. So yeah, basically that's it. Uh, and uh, very happy to be here. Thank you for the introduction. And, you know, for a, a founder of five years as well, you look very young. How old are you? I'm 28, turning 29 in two days. Yeah, so it's definitely very young for a founder of five years. I'm looking forward to uncovering a little bit about your story and to actually getting to know the person behind the business. So the best way for me to do that is to go back to your childhood. So can you tell me what life was like growing up for you from your earliest possible memory <laughs> yeah yeah of course of course so I, I was born in, and i grew up in paris in france life was quite easy uh, very uh, happy in paris was in a public school uh, in france you know public school is really cool it's uh, we're very lucky in france because the, the public schools are really really good at least you can find good ones i always were a, a good student i didn't uh, have so much problem uh, on that and yeah and um I have one uh, one older brother who uh, who's two years old, older than me. Uh, we grew up together. I'm not very close to my family, but, but uh, still, uh, I, I grew up uh, happily. After high school, I was not working a lot during uh, high school because uh, was not so. I think it was not so so complex, and I was lucky. It was quite uh, quite okay with the, with the amount of work I was putting. But I wanted to challenge a little bit myself. So so when I was uh, I, I finished my. Uh, high school when I was 16, 17, I was a bit early. Uh, and I wanted to be a, b- a bit more challenged uh, intellectually uh, with being humble. I don't, I don't mean uh, that I was uh, too good for high school, but just wanted to study a bit harder and, and try to challenge a bit myself. So I did what we call in France prepa. I'm not, I don't know if uh, you or the listeners are familiar with that, but prepa in France is like uh, two years uh, that you spend after high school. Uh, it's like a two first year, uh, it's equivalent of two first year of university, but it's super competitive, uh, not in a bad way, but I mean, it's super demanding. So I did the engineering prepa, uh, and for these two years, you prepare a competitive exam to join the best engineering schools uh, in France, uh, like Polytechnique, Centrale, Pont, Mines, etc. Like all the best engineering schools, you have to go through this system to, to go to them. And it was amazing. I really uh, loved it because, uh, so I was uh, learning uh, math and physics mostly. Super, super challenging intellectually. I met amazing teachers and I met there my co-founder because 
uh, I was not so smart after all because when I wasn't prepa, I was like in the worst students <laughs> of the class. And so a teacher matched me with the, the best student of the class, uh, who were uh, Oscar, my co-founder uh, of Stockley. We studied in prepa for a year and a half, two years together, prepared the exams together. We both uh, joined the, the school that we wanted to join. Uh, we, we were both quite successful at our him. He was, of course, more successful than me because he went uh, to the highest research math school uh, we have in France that's called uh, ENS, Ecole Normale, which is super, super selective. They just take like 50 students each year, like it's uh, very extreme. And yeah, and so so did my study in, in Paris, lived a bit abroad a few months or so and worked for a year. And after that, when I wanted to start a company, Basically, I called Oscar. I told him, okay, we worked uh, super well in prepa together. I want to start a business. Let's do it together. I know you're the good match for me. Excellent. That's a good uh, little run through of where you are today. <laughs> I'm really curious, like, whilst that's nice to hear where, where you've got to today, but I really want to un uncover, how would you have described yourself as a child slash teenager? I was uh, curious. I always was curious. As now, I think I'm still a teenager, you know. <laughs> I think you <Yeah. laughs> always remain a teenager, you know. I'm, I'm still, uh, uh, I'm, I'm currently wearing uh, sweatpants. Uh, I just uh, went uh, back and forth to the office, uh, to the office in bike, uh, in a uh, uh, bicycle. Uh, so you, you, I'm I guess I'm still a teenager. I'm still the, the curious boy I was. I still want to learn a lot. I want to have a healthy relationship uh, with my friends, uh, which was already something very important for me when I was a kid. So now it's maybe a bit, uh, you know, more more wide because I have my friends, I have my co-workers, I have uh, my my girlfriend. You know, you have more more diverse relationship now compared to when you you you're a kid. But I think it's important to keep always the same spirit, especially. Uh, uh, when you start and run a company, uh, I try to remain as genuine as uh, as genuine as possible, as uh, keep the child spirit that I had of being a curious kid uh, who wants to learn a lot and uh, doing possible stuff. Do you think that curiosity is a key attribute to have as a founder? Definitely, because uh, without that, uh, it's very hard. Uh, like you need to be super open-minded and super curious. Because if you're not curious, it's very hard to dig deeper in the market to understand really your customer's problem, to understand uh, how your market is structured. If you're bored very easily with the information that you that you have around you, if you're bored with the, when you start digging about a problem, I think it's super like it's almost impossible to build a reliable or a relevant product. So for this, yeah, definitely, I think especially in, in tech companies, but even in all type of companies, for example, if you build a consultancy services company, uh, you need to be a very good listener. You need to be super uh, comprehensive to the problems that your customer have. And this, I think it's a lot well uh, summarized in the word curiosity. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I was just curious to hear what your opinion was. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Okay, so growing up then, was there anyone in your life that had a big influence on who you are today? Yeah, of course, many people. The first one is uh, Steve Jobs. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The first <laughs> one is my, uh, is, my, is my mom, of course. So I was, I, I was, I'm very close to my mother. Uh, she also uh, started the company 30 years ago. She grew her company from uh, zero to uh, 1,000 employees with having uh, two kids that she she raised. Uh, my father was here, but she was really the, the I mean, the, the main character in my teenage years. So yeah, I grew up uh, seeing my mother taking care of me. Uh, bringing me everything that I needed uh, on a daily basis. Of course, my father as well, but yeah, for this, on, on this side of on entrepreneurship, I think my mother was really uh, 
huge inspiration and saying that uh, you can do anything, you know, everything is possible. You can raise kids, be super successful uh, businesswoman in a world where uh, 30 years ago it was not so easy for women to be taken seriously compared to now. And still we have uh, tons of progress to do huh, still. But yeah, definitely she's the she's the key, key player in the example that I, I've seen around me. Yeah. So has that always been in the back of your mind to like, you know, want to replicate building your own business like your mother? No, I, I'm not sure. I think it was quite natural. I think my parents have educated me in a very open-minded way, and I'm super grateful for that. My mother and father always explained me that whatever my choices were or would be, they would always love me. And so I always felt super free about what to do. Of course, it was. I also had a strict classic education where there were rules. I couldn't do even if I was the second one and usually and the last one. Uh, of the brotherhood so usually it's a bit uh, chill more chill for the for the second one you have less rules but still it was not a freestyle but uh, i felt very free so I, I i was never having a plan in the back of my mind i was just moving forward uh, in trying to learn during my my studies trying to do stuff that i i felt good and comfortable with and and i felt happy with and you know, so it, it, yeah it, it was quite natural like when i finished my studies I had just worked for a year and it was quite natural. I didn't want to join like a big consulting firm like my friends from school did or or like a big GAFA or something like that. So I just started on a project and I liked it. So I continued and now five years, five years later, we're here. That's very interesting. So you talk about feeling completely free. There was no pressure. It just felt became naturally. So would you say then that you've always had the characteristics of an entrepreneur or would you just say no it just sort of came to you naturally and you thought of this idea and then it just became that no i think maybe it's hard to say for myself maybe you should ask my mom uh, during uh, the, the next interview <laughs> but uh, you know i, I think i think uh, probably that uh, that my people around me uh, could have bet that i would have uh, built my, my my own business maybe uh, uh, I will do other companies later, maybe not. Maybe I will keep Stockley, uh, continue building Stockley, hopefully for the next uh, 30 years. And I'm super motivated to do it. But yeah, I think maybe it's uh, quite of my uh, my nature. Uh, I like to build stuff. I'm not very scared. I think it's also maybe something that uh, that's quite common to the CEO founders of, of, of companies, of startups, uh, is that I'm, I'm not really scared about, about big challenges. I'm not really scared about uh, constraints, about uh, people uh, who... Uh, won't let you grow because it's against the interest about the big challenges that you may face about all the complexity that you may face all the time about learning stuff you don't have any clue or managing stuff that you don't have any clue uh, in the first place yeah i'm, I'm not really scared of, of, of all of that i think i've never been so so scared of, of uh, big challenges so so maybe yeah maybe it was always there so <laughs> now i'm happy to to uh, to do what i do yeah you know willing to take risk is is the ultimate mindset i guess with you know creating a business right yeah, definitely uh, taking risk. And I'm not sure I've taken so much risk because I started so early. I started, you're right, I started uh, thinking about building a business when I was 22. Uh, I was super early. I was still living at my uh, mother's uh, place. I had no kids uh, to finance or to pay uh, fees for. Uh, I didn't have, uh, I was not married. Uh, so it was not a big risk for me, you know. So I don't want to pretend like, uh, okay, I had uh, huge balls. Uh, I uh, took so much <laughs> risk and uh, went uh, out there and uh, put uh, all in on the table. No, people do that sometimes uh, at 40 years old when they have already kids, uh, big salary uh, in a big corporation. And, and I admire this a lot. 
uh, for me, it was not so risky. Of course, it's risky because on the day to day, you, you're here, you, you work a lot, you and, and maybe the payout will be zero. And still today, maybe uh, some, at some point, the company will fail and uh, the, PI, the payout of this will be really low. And I would have made a better financial choice by joining a big company, maybe. But uh, that's that's the part of the risk. But uh, the fact of, of starting so, so early in my life, and some, some people start even at 15, 16. Huh? I know people around me who started building companies or even exited uh, with millions of euros their first company at 21, 22, 23 years old. They exited already their first company. So yeah, when you start early, you don't take so much risk in the end. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there because I remember hearing a quote that you should try everything in your 20s, fail as many times as you possibly can. In most cases, most people don't have children or married or anything like that between the early 20s, mid 20s and so on, maybe even later 20s. It's the perfect time. And then they say when you're in your 30s, you know what you're good at, double down on that make more money expand and so on and go through it that way when obviously you can t- can't take as much risk so yeah i think you're absolutely right on that it's a very good point yeah i was already quite convinced to, to completely align with, with what you said and even before starting stockley i quite rationalized this uh, and i've uh, helped creating a like a student association a student organization when i was at school that's called genius that was uh, promoting the entrepreneurship for students saying okay guys like when we're students it's so easy to build a startup company because uh, we have no financial responsibility we're completely free so it's the right time to try and have fun uh, and learn by doing and so i started this when i was at uh, pont uh, which was the, the engineering school i did a friend of mine had, had created this this organization uh, back in Dauphin, which is another university. And a few years later, we opened like 30 uh, different schools <laughs> all in France. And it became one of the biggest uh, student organizations uh, and promoting exactly this, uh, this, this message. Incredible. Can you think back to what your very, very first job was? My very, very first job. Uh, okay, so uh, in France, when you're in... Uh, when you don't know the equivalent in terms of uh, grade, but when you're maybe uh, 11, 12 years old, 13 years old, something like that, you do one week, you have to do an internship of one week. So I'm not sure it's work. I worked a bit because I did some reports some stuff like that. So that was really my, my first job. I worked for, for a week or two uh, in an advertising agency. Uh, it was quite cool. I remember that I, I, I showed YouTube to the woman who was... Uh, managing my internship. Uh, it was the very beginning of YouTube and she didn't know about it and she was working on advertising. So she, I showed us, okay, I showed her, if you want to have inspiration on videos, there was not advertising at all on YouTube at the, uh, back at the time, but I showed her that you, she could find a lot of inf- inspiration on, on consumer videos. Uh, it, it was really cool. And after that, my the, the, maybe the real first adult job, I was a bartender uh, uh, in Paris, which is a very uh, active uh, neighborhood with a lot of clubs of bars. Uh, and I was uh, for a few months there uh, a bartender just before uh, starting engineering school. What did those jobs teach you? Several things. So maybe the first one is, is more uh, like I was super, super young, but I saw that you can have uh, an impact even when you are, uh, when you feel like an imposter, you know, you don't have, uh, I'm here, I'm 13 years old. I'm with uh, people of 30, 40, 50 years old. And, and still I could, I was able to teach them a few stuff, which I wasn't, uh, didn't come for that, but in the end, I was natural, playing it naturally. Okay, guys, maybe uh, this can be useful for for you. And and I remember they were super happy, and, and I still am, I'm in, in touch with the with the Katia, the, the the woman who who was my uh, my manager when I was a 13, uh, 12 year old intern. Uh, and and I know she still has a good memory of this. So yeah, you can always bring like you can learn for every from everyone, and you can bring stuff uh, to everyone. I think that from the, the very first experience I had. Uh, what I learned. 
Uh, and then the bartender, it's uh, yeah, it, it was nice. I learned uh, maybe a bit more about diversity because I was in a job where I was with uh, like no, I was the only French speaking in the bar. They they were all from Sri Lanka. Uh, I made the amazing acquaintance there because the the team was really really nice. Uh, yeah, and, and maybe here I, I saw that uh, you could work uh, even with a couple of words, you could communicate with anyone with very different cultures if you were uh, open-minded enough and, and uh, you, you had the good vibes. Love that. I like that you said that you could learn something from everyone. Another one of my favorite quotes is, uh, everybody knows something that you don't know. Uh, so you, you can learn something from anyone, no matter how smart or not smart they are, you can learn something that you didn't know from that person. So you're absolutely right. Okay, so fast forward to now then. Walk me through how you founded Stockley. Where did the idea come from? Tell me about that moment and, and why did you turn it into a reality? Yeah, so it was uh, uh, after the, like during my last year of, uh, of engineering school, I didn't want to go back to Pont. It was, uh, I didn't have a, I didn't want to go back to uh, to a classroom uh, for the, this last year uh, where I would have a teacher uh, speaking for hours in a class uh, on amphitheater like it was I, I wanted to learn uh, on the field you know learn by doing and and, and yeah and so I found uh, an exchange with another French engineering school that's called Telecom Paris which is really really cool uh, it's one of the also top engineering schools but more specialized in coding so all the students uh, code uh, from the first days in, in school and so it's more tech oriented you know and the school I was doing before the pont was more about uh, like the specialty. It was very diverse because in France uh, it's all very like you, you learn a lot of stuff in engineering school. You can you can really choose what you want to learn. But historically, Le Pont was more about uh, civil engineering. Uh, you know, building uh, buildings and uh, bridges and stuff like that. And so I joined Telecom for a program where I just had one class per week, maybe uh, two three hours of of a class uh, during the week. Uh, and the rest, I could work on a, on a project uh, on my side uh, as long as I showed that I was serious and uh, I was not uh, bullshitting anyone. So yeah, I found this thanks to a friend uh, who had did the same masters, who also had built uh, an amazing company way bigger than us. That's called Yubo. It's a consumer app for uh, for teenagers and uh, and adults as well. So yeah, I, I went there and, and, and I called Oscar. I told him, okay, I will have plenty of time to think about the startup idea right now, like uh, during the, the coming year because I chose this master, which gives me a lot of time. And so... Let's start together. Uh, let's start uh, even if you're half time in the beginning. Next year will be both full time. Let's go. But let's start really digging into. So we we had dinner uh, at my mother's uh, place where I was living at the time. Uh, he told me about uh, his vacation in Egypt. Uh, he just had with his family. So really, we were kids, you know. And and I told him, okay, I have a couple of ideas. Uh, I want maybe to do a, a music app to exchange playlists with your friends. Uh, maybe uh, another idea I had. Huh? And the third idea is the one that we chose uh, was a price comparison website for shoes. I told uh, my friend, uh, Oscar, okay, uh, let's do a price comparison website for tools. We both agree on this idea because we thought it was easy to, to test. And why this idea, I, uh, why I had this idea? Because uh, I, I love sneakers and uh, I was bored of all my friends uh, asking, oh, Elliot, uh, where can I find uh, this pair or this pair? So, okay, let's build, let's build a website for it so that they can ask uh, a robot and not me each time. And I thought it was a, a real need. So, uh, so yeah, we started like that for the for one year almost. We coded the little price comparison website for shoes with our little hands, uh, had a few thousands of visitors, and then quite 
within these first uh, 14 months of this adventure of the price comparison website, we iterated a lot. We tried many different things because quite fast in the in the project, we had the feeling that the price comparison uh, business model was not one of the future. At least we, we couldn't project ourselves in, in such model because it has a, a lot of problems that I can, I can explain. But, uh, and so, yeah, we tried to have more B2B approach, to have uh, many diverse approach and by iterating, really digging deeper in the, in the problems that we were encountering by understanding better and, market, and better the, the e-commerce and the retail market in general. After maybe 18 months of iteration of, uh, from a student project to, to a real life uh, understanding of how retail works, we ended up uh, on the conclusion that, okay, uh, at least the statement that, okay, uh, the e-commerce the, the e biggest problem is access to inventory. And the only way for us to solve it is to connect everyone and to make sure that everyone can mutualize their inventory and, and can take advantage of a big pool to make sure they can serve their customers. And so that's that's how we created Stockly uh, in, in 2018. Okay, so you found it in 2018. It's just you and your business partner. How did you go about getting the first few hires like talk to me about that challenge when you're a brand new company so we started iterating in 2017 beginning 2017 like the price comparison website here and a half and then it, it lends us we, we land at an, in april 2018 after a year and a half where you're really uh, struggling to understand what's happening and wow uh, so much information and uh, and also okay it's been a year and a half now am i going to really start the company for real uh, hire people and and we're working our ass off like we were working so much to learn understand what was happening and start building a, like finding really uh, like what we call a product market fit or at least the beginning of it so what happened what, what really uh, made us pass to to uh, to Stockly, to starting really kickstarting this this adventure with with this new product that we we thought was fitting well the market in uh, in 2018, is that we had joined already a couple of incubators, accelerators, some more useful than others, but we were contacted by Lafayette Plug and Play, uh, which was an accelerator uh, that was a partnership between Plug and Play, which is a big uh, American VC, and Galerie Lafayette, which is one of the or the biggest French retailer department store. Uh, uh, like uh, Harrods or uh, Harrods in the in the UK, or, and they contacted us because they identified us uh, through another incubator that we have done, like a very random. But we were just two, uh, Oscar and I, at the time. I, I was completely blonde, short hair. I looked like really like a like a teenager, uh, like a teenager uh, who just went out of a. Uh, of holidays and and so we went there we pitched they liked a lot uh, the pitch because it, it really uh, responded to to a need a business need that they had and we joined the accelerator which was a three months program and the goal of it was to help us like really uh, meet a lot of retailers uh, and in particular try to help us implement our solution with Gary Lafayette and so the first big retailer that we so at the time we had maybe one or two or three very small shops online that were using Stockly. Uh, it was super manual super uh, hacking uh, you know we were hacking uh, all, all sides uh, it was like really fake it until you make it and we had maybe a few transactions per week a few orders per week but it was uh, a way to test really the market and so when we saw uh, that uh, Galerie Lafayette was really motivated to plug Stockly, this was maybe in May June very quick when we joined the program in, in April 2018 uh, then we said to ourselves, okay, now we, we can see that we, we start to have really a product market fit. We can see that what we're doing is, is really interesting and, and that we'll have, we, there's a risk that after we launch with Galafate, first to deliver the plugin with Galafate, we need more, a bit more robust product. And then after that, if it accelerates, we want to have the, the right resources to do so. So we decided to do a, to do a first fundraising 
Uh, it took uh, seven weeks. We did quite quickly. So I was uh, 23 at the time. Uh, so we called, uh, we already prepared uh, our, our first hire, which was, uh, he, she was Camille. She was with us in, in prepa uh, back at the time with Oscar. And uh, Oscar was still in touch with her. She, he told me, okay, Camille, uh, I know she's bored at her job. She's super smart. I know I knew her, of course, but Oscar was better friends with her than, than I was. He knew her better. And he told me, okay, let's let's uh, hire Camille. So she, we, we brought up Camille into the equation. We told her, okay, we're starting a roadshow right now. In six, eight weeks, we'll have raised uh, 500K, 600K. And so we will start to, to pay you from September. We give you, of course, equity of the company, a bit of equity. And during these two months, uh, Oscar every uh, every night learn teaches you how to code, and so every night uh, after all that he had to do already for the to build the tech of the company, he was giving three uh, few hours of of uh, coding lessons to Camille. She progressed super well, and on my side, focused on the fundraising. And after six weeks, I had gathered 500, 600k euro. Uh, on the table. I say 500, 600 because first 500 and then we take stars also in the same company 100k more uh, months later. And yeah, and so then uh, we had a bit of cash to, to do our first hires. And in the year that, that followed, we went the team up to 10, 12, 15 people maybe. Interesting. So you talked about getting your first round of funding, which was 500k, right, as well. Yeah. Was it at that, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but was it at that point where you like maybe thought, right, I really believe this can 100% work now? Or did you always believe from the very moment you started it, this is 100% going to work? This is tricky because you're never 100% sure it's going to work. But you need to force yourself to, to believing that it's going to work because otherwise you cannot uh, motivate uh, people around you, investors. And that, but in the end, mathematically, it's impossible. And everybody knows it. Like no company is 100% going to work. Even Amazon is not 100% going to work. Uh, even Uber is not uh, like uh, huge companies uh, end up failing when they're huge. Uh, and in the end, it didn't work out. So, so it's, uh, you cannot be sure that it's going to work. What you can know for sure is that it's going to be a positive adventure for you and that step by step, it's going to work. That's the only way I think to do it, like step by step. Like, okay, I need to do a fundraising in the coming two months. It's going to work. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to apply a good method to be surrounded by the best people to get the best advice on how to do it if I'm, I'm uncertain about it. Uh, I'm going to convince the best investors and yeah, it's going to happen well. But step by step. In prepa, uh, the physics teacher who matched me with Oscar, presented me to, uh, who introduced me to Oscar at the time where we met, always said that a very complex problem, it's always possible to divide it into small problems. So I think it's the same for that. You, you never know for sure that it's going to work out. You can just know that the next small step is going to work out and, and you, you go like that. Absolutely. So what would you say has been the hardest thing about growing a startup? Uh, definitely uh, hiring. I'm sure everyone replies that. No? <laughs> yeah, almost pretty much. Yeah. What in particular for you has been hard about hiring? Yeah, because it's very hard to build a very, very strong team. And to date, it's, so far, it's the thing I am most, the most proud about by far is that uh, we've built uh, almost a family, you know, so people make fun of me when I say that. But yeah, I mean it, like I, when I arrive at work, I'm super happy to, to see the people. Everyone is committed with the same values. Uh, yesterday night, we had uh, an invest, a drink with all of investors we invited at Stockley, all the business angels, the, the VCs that are part of the adventure and the feedback uh, they all gave me is wow like uh, you seem so close to each other people seems to be in a really good mood like uh, super involved and, and, and that's the best gift for me to to hear that from, from, from my investors that we try to 
hire people with values that we, we think are important and as well uh, that are uh, yeah matching with the with the company's ambition so we rationalized it quite a lot and we iterated a lot uh, in the process of hiring now it's way less painful than in the beginning but the learning curve was definitely uh, super super intense in the beginning because uh, when we started uh, we were doing uh, mistakes uh, everywhere now Obviously, we still do mistakes necessarily, but we're more and more confident about the way we recruit and we see the team growing in a very healthy way, I think. Do you operate as an entirely remote company or are you in-house? No, no, uh, fully in-house. Uh, everyone is based in Paris. So we have a culture where we try to find people who want to relocate to Paris or to, who are living in Paris, who come to the office quite frequently. By default, actually, uh, they have to be at the office, but we give a lot of flexibility to the managers meaning that the manager can uh, can say, you uh, know, okay, if you want to work all week from home uh, or just come one or two days at the office, they're, they're very free about that. But the rule by default is that you have to be at the office so that the manager as well, when they have difficulties with a, with a team member, they can say, okay, but the rule is that. So uh, you have accepted it by joining it. Uh, actually, we even explain our remote policy from the very uh, first interview with the candidates uh, so that it's easy for the managers, you know, to for the team leaders to to manage when, when someone has a lower performances or they feel that they need to be closer to the team to have more uh, like informal exchanges or, or more coaching in, in, in person. So yeah, we're more uh, like, um, I don't know if you say, but work at the office company, let's say. And we have some exceptions. We have a 10, uh, 15% of the, of, the, of the collaborators that work uh, in what we call a remote first, means that they come one week per month at the office. There is a specific budget for travel expenses when they come. Uh, to the office and they can be uh, anywhere around Europe uh, or in the world uh, and, and it's uh, we do this uh, case by case yeah no that makes total sense I mean it, like you said it's much better to handle problems and be face-to-face -face if you are a, an in-house first business as I, I like to say I also like the point you made about what's been the hardest thing about growing a startup and uh, what's also been most rewarding about actually seeing the team you built like a family sure. that's actually probably the most common response I get the hardest thing is hiring but it's seeing the team that you've built one of my last guests said that they organized a trip like that to celebrate the, the birthday of the company and they all went to Thailand like 40 of them and said it was just like a very sort of emotional feeling just seeing everybody together for the first time because he was they were a remote first business so seeing everybody together from, from what you've built how hard the hiring was it's all all worth it in the end right because the people are the business not the founders ultimately no of course and and i, I guess it, it, it for the for the founder who told you that uh, it must have been and even for all the team it must have been crazy experience because if uh, they gathered for the first time all together uh, after years of working it must be insane i respect as well on remote first company like uh, for remote companies i think uh, every company that is culture this way of working I do think it's important to be uh, relevant, you know, coherent with who you are. I think the way maybe the product that we do and, and the way like the values we have in the company and the way our methods of working, it's more adapted to have uh, more in-house people physically uh, at the office. But I, I, I'm sure that there's no, there's no perfect method. It's really consistent. Yeah, no, I, I do actually agree with your method, to be honest. I mean, I believe that if, that, you know, it's possible to make it work, in any way, hybrid, remote, or in-house. If I'm thinking for myself, I would like to be able to see the people I'm working with at least majority of the time anyway, but each to their own. And, you know, I've seen businesses being very successful both ways. 
So yeah, it could definitely work. All right, cool. So that was the hardest thing. But what was uh, the thing that you least expected about running a startup? The least expected, uh, honestly, uh, I'm sorry, but it's so, so hard to reply because I try not to have expectation. You know, I think it's more a life philosophy. Uh, more and more, I, I, I try not to have any expectation. So, of course, it's my job to forecast. It's my job to anticipate what will happen. Uh, and sometimes you have unexpected events. But from a philosophic uh, perspective, I try not to expect anything. Like uh, life gives you what it can give you and, and what you can do at your humble level is uh, do your best. Give, uh, have, like show uh, people around you that uh, you're a good person, be here for them, work uh, related or, or personally related. But yeah, I least expected, I don't know, because I think the right way to do it is to not to have any expectations. Uh, but yeah, of course, you always have surprise. Maybe the uh, biggest surprise I had in a company, uh, uh, maybe I will reply a bit uh, differently, but something uh, I couldn't imagine that would happen to me. And, and uh, I was super happy and it was may, maybe one of the happiest year of my life more generally is that when we did Techstars, when we in 2018, when we started, uh, I ended up in the same cohort as my best friend. So my best friend uh, from one of my best friends from school uh, and two of my best, my closest friend from high school, who uh, really I spent all my holidays with. Uh, so I introduced them to each other because I, I became very close to Alex, who was my friend from engineering school after high school. And they started a company together, uh, oh, which wow. is called uh, AZMED, which is uh, AI for a radiologist, uh, you know, medical imagery, uh, in medical imaging. And we ended up in the first year of, the, of both our companies in the same cohort at Techstars. Wow. And so that was insane because for three months we were among 10 startups with my best friend. And after that, so we were three months uh, during the program, then we could have uh, the, the Techstars offices for three months more because we could negotiate uh, for a very reasonable price to, to stay there. And after that, we shared our offices. We, we created like a... Uh, what we call the colloc, like, you know, when you live with your friends, but for offices with them and another startup that we really got along with uh, as well. For a year and a half, we shared the office together. So every day I was arriving uh, at the office, we were a team of 10, 15 people for each company. I was arriving, working with uh, people I liked a lot. And like the desk uh, next to mine was uh, my three best friends uh, and that, like this every day. So it was super, super nice. I couldn't expect uh, this would happen. And, and uh, it was a very, very happy, uh, happy moment. Yeah, it's like one in a million chance, right? <laughs> That's incredible. A really nice, a really nice uh, story. Since you started Starkly right up till now, has it been relatively plain sailing the whole way? Or have you had lots of failures to get it where it is now? No, of course, a lot of failures, a lot of failures all the time. All the time you make mistakes. It's very hard. Uh, a lot of failures. I try to be uh, positive and give positive vibes when I, when I, uh, Tell my my humble story because I was lucky. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm statistically uh, it's an anomaly uh, that uh, we still exist after five years. First time founder, uh, we started when, when I was uh, 22 years old it's in a super competitive market, super complex product. So yeah, it's an anomaly. That's why I'm grateful. I try to to only give good vibes uh, when I'm telling my humble story. But no, of course, a lot of failure. The the, the, the path uh, until now, and I know that the path ahead of us is full of of very very complex stuff to deal with. We had failures in recruitment, people who joined the team who in the end uh, were not the, the right fit and it was super hard for the team members who stayed and even uh, for those who, who we separated who separated from the team. 
we had uh, sometimes we spent tons of time, tons of hours on deals that went nowhere, that were too complex, that ended up being just waste of time, both for tech teams and, and for business teams. We had uh, sometimes some complex situations to deal with some brands. So yeah, it was a lot of, of failures all the time. But but yeah, that, that's really part of the, of the thing, you know, like you have to accept that and uh, to learn from every failure and make sure that, okay, how not to, to do it again, how to make sure that uh, even internally, I don't know, there is a miss of process, someone uh, or a process is not designed well and uh, it frustrates a lot of people because the work was done for nothing or maybe uh, it, it could have been done uh, 10 times faster if, the, if a, an internal process was, was better designed. This is definitely a failure because you create frustration for everyone. So yeah, the, in the end, the only thing you can do is keep a positive mindset about that. Try to teach everyone, okay, how not to make the mistake again, how to redesign things better. Let's not be lazy and say, okay, it won't happen again. Let, let's assume it will happen again and how to make sure we we, we can uh, make it happen uh, better the, the next time the same problem occurs. So yeah, it's about, always about reacting positively to, to the failures. But, but yeah, definitely we have tons. It's actually really nice to hear that because I feel like when you talk with some people that are perhaps wanting to start a business and that sort of thing, they're very, very, very scared of failure. But uh, as I've learned from many other people that I've spoken to, that you have to fail so many times, countless times, from starting the business to running the business. And uh, they, as you said, it's part of the business and it is what makes you and defines you and allows you to improve and get better as a business as well. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I can only agree with that. And it's normal to be, you know, as well, I'm not... I don't like so much the, the because sometimes you can read online so much brainwashing about uh, failure is good, failure is amazing. No, it's normal to be afraid of failure. You should be afraid of failure. Failure is terrifying. Like uh, you go, you put your name on the table, say, okay, I will do that. I will manage to do that. Come on, guys, do it with me. Of course, you should be afraid of failure. It's terrifying. You're saying everyone you're going to do something, and then or maybe you have uh, you have no uh, you you have no reliability. But, uh, personally, I think I'm someone uh, one of my main uh, characteristic. I'm someone super reliable. Okay, when I do I say when I say something, I commit to it, and really it hurts me if I don't uh, even for something uh, really not, uh, with very low importance. But I tell someone, uh, okay, I will do it. I, I do it, or I do my best really to do it. So. Most people are like that. When you commit to something, you want to do it. So it's normal to be terrified of failure because when you say, okay, I will try to do this, you don't want first to appear uh, like a loser to everyone. And secondly, you don't want to disappoint people. So you should be afraid of failure, but that's part of the game. Like uh, it's, you should not be paralyzed by failure, but it's normal to have a little scare inside of you. And it's important not to make any abstraction of it. You should play with it, live with it, take it as a force, you know, saying, okay, I don't want to fail. So I'm going to use this as a big strength to, to make sure I will do my best, I will give my best, and in the end, make sure I can do great stuff. But at the same time, it, I think it's not the right thing to ignore. It can be really scary. It's, it's important not to ignore it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely something to obviously you know be scared of. It, it, it is terrifying. But uh, on the same note, I always believe that any failure that I've faced, something better comes from it because you learn what didn't work or what won't work anymore and you adapt and you make it better and I've always found to beat myself to be much more successful after the failure every time no you're right you're right and and, and also the, the failure reminds you that uh, you're just a man and that in the end uh, you cannot always win you know you cannot always win sometimes uh, the, the door is closed sometimes uh, it's not the right timing for you and and it also failure it's also a very good uh, way to teach you uh, to teach anyone humility 
that's a very important value to be happy and to be successful. So I can only agree with you. What are your long-term goals and ambitions for Stockley? How far do you want to take it? I really, really want to go big with Stockley. So, so I don't want to lack humility by saying this, but it's at least the ambition. Like we really try to have a mindset where we always uh, process stuff as if we were uh, 10 times bigger. Like all the process in the company was overstructured, definitely. We always structure like even the communication between the teams, the way that uh, the different teams interact with each other, the process we have inside the company, the onboarding, the offboarding processes, like everything we have in the, in the, in the company is... Uh, design as if we were 10 times bigger and that's really part of the of our culture because we we hope and we think that we're still at the the very beginning of the adventure uh, we want to go big in terms of zero i'm not afraid of at all to work all my life at stockley if it's still a, an amazing adventure like that i'm not at all uh, obsessed by you know uh, exiting fast and uh, taking my money and uh, going to an island peacefully uh, or building another business to build 10 business in a row i don't care about that i want to build uh, something big something that changes the world or at least uh, the retail in Europe which is already a big uh, big challenge but yeah we, we really want to go big after that uh, yeah, we'll do our best we'll try always of course to respect also the economic interest of, of the shareholders and the different stakeholders of the company because I'm not alone in that uh, it's not uh, like it's more a company is more like a democracy than, uh, than you know that uh, you just uh, navigating in your own boat uh, by yourself and that's good so yeah I want to go big but uh, as well uh, we'll still uh, try to, to remain down to earth where does this drive to want to build a big business come from? Tell me what you're like, what motivates you to get out of bed in the morning? What, where does this come from? I think I really want to, to make a difference in the market that I, that I think uh, is here for long. I think the retail market, the people will always have to buy stuff and sell stuff. A lot of people live thanks to this business. Many people around the world live and feed their family thanks to retail, which is a very big industry in general. I think there are a lot, lot of things to improve, both for customers, for business owners. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that can make uh, their life better. And so, yeah, going big to me is making a huge impact on an industry that needs that. I think in the end that uh, the retail world needs a Stockley. Uh, if it's not us, it's uh, someone else. But in the end, I'm sure there will be a central way for any e-commerce website or any retailer to have an infinite access to inventory, to have to seamlessly... Uh, uh, use uh, inventory of other other retailers. So yeah, growing big for me is uh, having an impact at a big level on, on something that I believe that will happen. Uh, and I want uh, to be uh, the one uh, impulsing the change. Okay. And last question. If someone listening right now was thinking about starting a business, what's the one bit of advice that you would give them? I think, I think the advice is in the end, uh, go on the field, try things for yourself. Of course, listen to people uh, because uh, you can learn from, from anyone. Uh, as we, we both said earlier, it's something we need to remain always humble, listen to people and, and, and don't think we know everything. But in the end, if you want to build your business, you know the truth, you know your truth and you need to listen to it. And you need to trust your gut, trust your conviction uh, and, and move forward. And uh, I have, yeah, I see many people uh, sometimes uh, taking a lot of time to start really testing the product because they want to do uh, so many interviews or so many uh, speak with so many advisors. In the end, the reality is on the field. So test, uh, like fake it until you make it, even if it's a very cliche uh, sentence. But yeah, the, the best way to, to start your business is to uh, start for real solving a very concrete, concrete problem with your, with your little hands. Thank you, Elliot appreciate that very much it's uh, fantastic to learn all about stockley and where you want to take it 
I for sure will be following it from afar to see how far you really do go over the next year. But yeah, yeah, wanted to say thank you so much. It was so great to learn all about your ambition, your lifestyle and your business. Thank you so much, Jordan. Really, really cool uh, to have this chat. And uh, yeah, uh, very happy to have you uh, around that, uh, now that we, we know each other. Uh, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll speak again soon. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Startup Stories. I hope you enjoyed hearing from our guests and learning more about their journey in the startup world. I'll be back soon with another exciting episode featuring a new guest. So make sure to subscribe to Startup Stories so you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to follow me on social media for updates and additional content. And if you have any suggestions for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, please reach out to me. And as always, I appreciate your support and feedback. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.